I think in all the clean tech sectors, how, how do you promote that to happen, right? When it's not just the traditional spreadsheet that it makes sense or it doesn't. When you need to start looking at things in a different way and new technology and innovation, you know, is your culture comfortable with a bit of change? We all have to be part of this change. Welcome to The Insiders, a podcast on the latest advancements, challenges, and successes in innovation and technology. With industry leaders sharing their personal stories, we humanize the world of innovation and inspire listeners to push their boundaries and celebrate real humans shaping our collective future. Hello and welcome to the KPMG Insiders. My name is Mark Lowe. I'm the head of KPMG Ignition here in Vancouver and the host of The Insiders. Very special episode for us today, a clean tech episode with two fantastic guests. Um, Brett Henkel to my immediate left, co-founder and senior vice president of business development at Svante, and Jeanette Jackson, CEO of Foresight. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Glad to be here. Terrific. One of the things that we uh, that we talk about at Ignition is this idea of you know innovation and technology as fundamental forces for good. And I think that's that's an important part of the conversation. Is you know you have to. You have to believe that you have agency, uh, you know, in the discussion, right? But I'm I'm curious for both of you. My assumption, looking at the work that you do, is that there would have to be a, a fair amount of optimism in terms of the work that you just to, just to get out of bed and 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 do what you do on a day to day basis. So, does that ring true for both of you? Uh, oh, I think it absolutely does. Um, I I, uh, I I wouldn't say I, I'm an expert at history, but I like I like uh, reading about. Uh, Really big events in the last in the last uh, few hundred years, and 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 some of the things that that uh, that uh, collectively uh, humans have done have changed very very quickly in the in the world wars. Even COVID is a good example of how fast the world changed, and mm-hmm. it touched everyone in the world, and everyone changed something in their lives to to cope with this, right? And, and, and that and acted and and did something. But at the same time, there was a reason for that is that there was always something that was front and center that someone could understand why they had to change, yeah. right? And I think that uh, that understanding is not quite there for climate change, right? right? That to get everybody to act collectively and very quickly. So I think it's very possible for us to do this. Technology is a part of it, but it's also our own behavior is a part of it and deciding to do that. I right. think if we all decide to, we can do it, but we haven't all decided to. <laughs> that's that's clear, yeah. right? And and that 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 we have to get to that point where collectively all, all of us uh, decide to to tackle it. Well, the funny thing about entrepreneurs is that they are eternally optimistic. And uh, if you can imagine being a clean tech entrepreneur, and you know, uh, having been one myself and supported many in different capacities. Uh, it's, a, it's almost like double the optimism required. And that takes a lot of energy and commitment. Um, you know, as an organization, you know, the organization I lead, it's quite an interesting position to be in because we are really here for the greater good. Uh, and what I mean by that is we see uh, government, industry, academia, investors, uh, and other critical stakeholders, indigenous communities, all trying to move the needle. And what we're saying is, look, how do we get on the same page? How do we work together and sing from the same songbook so that we can pool resources and move faster? So I'm hopeful, but organizations like that 
do tend to struggle because you're not like selling a widget and, you know, making some margin, right? You're saying, look, government, we need you to step in. And these are the mechanisms that we think not only that have worked domestically in other sectors or that are working globally, let's share best practices so that, so that we can, you know, again, continue to, to see real uh, impact and, um, opportunity to reach those goals. And I'm not sure we've quite done that yet, um, but there's certainly some clear paths forward. It's just how how willing are people, you know, to commit and, and just move forward and acknowledge that that way of doing things is done. Yeah. And um, yeah, I know I might have to sacrifice a bit of margin or revenue or, or um, you know, uh, net income on the one side, but, you know, within a couple of years, you'll be the most globally competitive, right. uh, sustainable business, you know, uh, in that sector or in that space so um, it's an interesting space to be in um, but that's that's our lens Let, let's jump in there because there's there's a, a bunch of interesting things that, that are coming out of that that answer which I loved and Jeanette you just mentioned this idea of you're trying to bring different stakeholders together trying to you know get everyone to acknowledge we actually share a common goal um, what needs to change <laughs> um, I mean it's really interesting and uh, so again, working with so many different stakeholder groups and and pretty strong purview of the of the domestic landscape, but every organization and institution seems to be at a different level, or they have a different level of resources. They don't have the capacity, so they've been mandated to do something around ESG, or they've been mandated to you know look at this business unit. But the actual capacity, it seems still to be off the side of the desk. Right. Uh, another factor is is in a lot of the organizations that have the opportunity for change, you know, those organizations themselves have, through industrialization, have grown over the last 20, 30 years. A lot of the team members have come within their own business, which, which is awesome if you're trying to save pennies on every operating unit. But when you need to start looking at things in a different way and new technology and innovation, you know, is your culture comfortable with a bit of change? Right. And how do you get comfortable with that in a, in a short period, even if it's incremental? sometimes, um, you know, it's it's difficult. Uh, then we get into, you know, the capital structures. Uh, you know, there's long-term capital requirements for some of this infrastructure. Something, I mean, now we've seen um, quite an influx of AI solutions and automation that are actually allowing us to, to get some handle on reducing emissions. But then there's also the big projects, large carbon capture projects or, or large hydrogen, you know, energy facilities, fusion, depending on what your, you know, what your preference is. But so I think, again, there's, there's policy, there's a willingness to be open and take a bit of, I don't even like to use the term risk anymore, because in my opinion, it's risky if you don't, Mm -hmm. but not everyone's come to that same conclusion yet. And so, you know, how do you get comfortable with something that's different in in a business that you've been running and familiar with for so long that maybe already has tight margins? And then, you know, where do we, where do we find the capital uh, to, to allow, you know, these groups that can have the biggest impact to invest? Um, and so, I mean, it's it's a big problem. So, Brett, you're in the middle of this, right? I mean, is it at a, at a market level? Is it a is it a carrot and stick discussion? Like, what is it? What is it uh, that? It, first of all, uh, there's a there's a premise in the question, right? Of course, which something needs to change. Does something need to change in your in your view in order for us to accelerate and get to these? milestones? Yes, I I, I think uh, it, it does need to change. If we stay in the same uh, mindset that we have now, we're not going to make it, right? We're like jumping for the edge of a cliff and we're going to miss it. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and and that change, but it's a, it's a really 
tough question of what needs to change. I think quite a few things to need to change. But what's in what's in my uh, ability to 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 try to do is uh, ed- education. I think if if, uh, if 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 people and companies and governments have have the knowledge and, and understand that knowledge, mm-hmm. I, I think generally we will come more to the same conclusion of what we need to do, right? And and why we need to do it, right. and, and and that. But I, I think there's a pretty big uh, gap in in uh, in the understanding of climate change in general and what to do about it. Uh, uh, still out there, yeah. so I think that's a that's an onus on us in the industry to to help with that, and mm-hmm. and we're, I'm certainly doing that, and uh, and our company is going to try and touch the public much more on that on that front, and uh, and I think that's an onus on the on governments to do that, and it's uh, uh and um, if we can get more on the same page, there will be more collaboration, and I and I. And I think that then we can, uh, you know, knock down those barriers much, much easier when there's when there's an understanding. Because I, I think we have a lot of the path and the answers for a lot of this. Not all of it, but we have. Uh, we've made fantastic progress in the last, even the last ten years on technology. Look at renewables. If you wind back twenty years ago, no one would have thought we would get renewables to this stage where they actually—you might use renewables, or or a lot of times you use renewables because they're better and cheaper, and and just you know yeah. even if you don't think about CO two emissions or think about the environmental aspect, they're better. That's amazing, right? And we've done that. And look what we've done on uh, transportation sector. Just in general, electric vehicles have made some fantastic progress, right? And we know that's a path forward. And and there's always, and this is this is you get me uh, on my uh, one of my uh, most uh, frustrating things that I hear is that oh well, you know that windmill works and and and, and produces power, but it took all the fossil fuel energy to make it. You know, or or same with all the other solutions we have. Well, of course, everything is based on a fossil fuel uh, system yeah. that we have right now. So you could say that about everything we do, right? But the thing is that we have to assume that all of those industrial sectors change, all of them. Yeah. So yeah, you know, now that that making that windmill takes a lot of fossil fuel energy to do that, but in the future, it will be made in a, in a more environmentally way. And same with all of the other solutions, right? So you can't, you can't just not do something because it doesn't fix it. You know, it, it, it has to be fixed on every front, yeah. right? You, you raise this idea of kind of systems thinking, right? And so it, that, that, that there's all these component pieces that go into whether you're building solutions in the space or you're, you're helping advocate and, and you know, coordinate ecosystems and so on. How do you think about kind of the complexity of the system and how, to, how these pieces go together and, and maybe your, your role within that? It's a big question, I know. It's but. too complex. It's like overly complex, <laughs> if we're being honest, right? It's often so fascinating when you are an ecosystem builder. And, I mean, you're building your own ecosystem around your innovation and market. How many people aren't talking to each other? Like, it's actually, I, I, I make assumptions often that two people are working together only to find out when we bring them in a room that they've never met or shaken right. hands. And so, I mean, again, who's responsible for that? And even if you find uh, or groups of organizations that have that ambition, how do you fund something like that? Like the economics around sponsorships and all that kind of stuff aren't what they used to be, right? So um, I just chuckle because it's just, it's almost even within a sector, 
fascinating how five conversations between the right people could get so many more people on the right on the right page and you you really can't at this point i think you you need to have the right diversity of uh, decision makers and stuff at the table Um, otherwise you're always starting from scratch and and that's hard on a venture it's hard on a researcher it's hard on service it's service for everyone everyone you know because you, you feel like you're doing a lot of stop starts yeah. start stops yeah. stop start 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 <laughs> uh, you're stopping and starting a lot yeah. and um and yet some of this stuff is just so obvious um I, I just don't i'm what worries me almost more than industry is consumer expectations because it, ultimately corporates make their decision based on their customers yes, right. and yes. so you know we have a we have a heavy task and and have to figure out who's responsible for that yeah Just make a comment on the complexity. The complexity requires collaboration, Mm -hmm. right? And and because this, uh, the the, the climate change challenge touches uh, everything we do, right? I I brought up renewables and I brought up, you know, electric vehicles and fuel cell vehicles. Uh, But what I didn't bring up is, is, uh, is more hard to abate and less well understood uh, sources of CO2 emissions like we have in this room. Uh, steel, we love steel. Mm-hmm. Steel we use for so many different things, concrete. right? Uh, concrete, this yeah. building will be made with a lot of concrete, yeah. right? Uh, plastic, even though we would like to not use plastic, we have a hard time right now dealing with plastic straws and single use. What about your car and all the other things in this room that are made of plastic, right? We haven't even tackled that yet. Uh, Fertilizer, we feed 8 billion people in the world with fossil fuel-based fertilizer, Mm -hmm. right? Think about that one. That one's really connected to us, our survival, right? You know, so so all of these things are less well well understood and they're complex. Mm -hmm. Those really get into complex. Buying an electric vehicle, that's pretty well understood and Fairly simple, but those concepts are a little bit more easier to figure out. Think about you, 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 you build your uh, house and you poured your foundation with concrete. Right. Much more complex conversation, and that and and tackling uh, that sector of emissions uh, requires a lot of con- uh, uh, collaboration, yeah. right? Because it touches so many different aspects of the industrial. Uh, uh, world that we live in. So I'll ask you a question, follow up there, which is this idea that. Um, a premise in that in that discussion, right, is that uh, technology is somehow going to alleviate the challenge in, in these areas. So you reference, you know, concrete, steel, plastic, and that somehow technologies are going to um, allow us to live the same life that we do with a with a much a much smaller carbon footprint. Do you do you believe at the scale that we need to achieve those changes that we're going to be have? This really comes down to a standard of living discussion, right? Are we going to be living as we live today? Or better, in your view, in a zero carbon world, or, or not? well, it depends on how you define standard of living. Yeah. I actually think we can have the same standard of living, but will we be living in the same way? No, we do have to change the way we live, uh, but we can have we can continue to have a, a, a good standard of living. Uh, but we do need to uh, make make uh, decisions in our, you know, it, it, our, our decisions can't be based uh, completely on the bottom line anymore. It has to be based on whether it's it's good and sustainable for for our survival on this planet, yeah. right, for long term. So yes and no. <laughs> the answer to that. It depends. That's the typical <laughs> economic answer. Yeah. Right. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> 
but the, the question is, is, or the discussion is very nuanced, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, that's the, to me, that strikes me as the challenge is that, you know, Jeanette, you've mentioned it, right? You have all these different, and well, both of you touched on it, but this idea that you've got all these different stakeholders with, at the end of the day, I'm a re relatively new father, right? And one of the things that's been interesting about that experience for me has been that you realize as you meet other parents that you all share what, whatever you might think of the other people that you're interacting with. You have a shared sense of, I want a better world for my kids than, than yeah. what I had, right? And so that creates a commonality. And the climate change debate, it strikes me, is you have a similar dynamic, which is that we all would like to live in a world that's not on fire. We don't have atmospheric... Uh, rivers flooding your your valley, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, so I, I wonder if um, COVID has done a bit of justice on that front. And what I mean by that is, what is quality of life? What is, like, how big of a house does one need? How many gadgets and cars and things like that? And, and I've heard from a lot of people that they don't want to live to work anymore mm. they they want to work to live and that means that they need to make adjustments on their consumption they're more right. thoughtful and on a budget and lower power like every every dollar matters if you if you have that perspective that's not broad base i mean we have a lot of economies right now that are striving to emulate you know the western culture and way of life mm. and that actually almost makes me a little more nervous um yeah i'd rather you know more quickly transition, you know, more efficient housing, you know, automatic heat bumps and all new builds. Like there's just some standards that can be easily set yeah. that are on par that can do some, you know, move the needle quite significantly. Um, but I think, you know, quality of life can be better, but it's just, you know, what does quality of life mean to you? And if you are caught in a bit of the marketing hype of having, you know, keeping up with the Jonases, you know, right. that's always going to be there. Um, but hopefully there's, I, I, I think there's, a collective of early adopters on a more balanced lifestyle where, you know, sustainability, physical health, all these things are embedded. Yep. And, and hopefully that can that can start to to get them the mass follow on. We can cross the chasm and, you know, and, and be, you know, be on our way. But yeah. Well, let's hope we're, we're approaching that positive tipping point in that, yes. in that way with the behavior change. Um, as you both look back, so, you know, Foresight was an organization founded in the uh, 2010s and Svante in the, in the mid-2000s. I'm curious for both of your perspectives on, on as you have watched this space evolve and change and mature, um, you know, what has changed, number one, and number two, maybe more interestingly, is, is what hasn't changed? What has remained consistent through that period as you've watched the space evolve? Uh, well, in, in, the, in the climate change space, mainstream funding started happening about three years ago in a, in a big way. Uh, it's, it's changed from being very niche uh, uh, funding organizations being, being involved in very strategic funding to being, okay, this is, you know, we can, we can put our money here and, and make money, right? That, that thought process. So I, I think from a... From a um, financing perspective, it's much better now. And we're going to benefit from that in the next, I would say in the next five or 10 years, there's going to be so many more technologies available. Part of the reason why there's uh, uh, less path forward right now, commercial path forward right, right now and technologies available to companies to use is because it was starved 10, 20 years ago right. of financing, 
right? And that that that's a significant change, uh, which is which is fantastic. Um, yeah, to build on that, assuming, you know, the finance piece is in place, I think something else is that, uh, now I've been a bit more fluffy in some of my comments, but I think business models uh, around how solutions providers, whether you're a technology, a service, you know, you're, you're, these business models for solutions to be adopted yep. have become much more familiar with what the operational needs are for the adoption side of the equation. And so we're starting to see that really, really move the needle. Um, and more collaboration. I mean, we are seeing, you know, groups collaborate like never before uh, within sectors. I think mm-hmm. industry associations are, are showing some really strong leadership there. Um, and even, you know, organizations like ours collaborating across the country and globally and, and, and sharing best practices. I, one thing that has, I, I think, has stayed consistent is a uh, is a hesitancy to adopt new technology and a new way of doing things. Right? That's uh, mm-hmm. that was uh, there twenty years ago when we started, and I would say it's still it's still there. It uh, might be getting a, a improving somewhat, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's still um, very difficult to convince. Uh, uh, Companies and, and people that have done uh, something in in one way uh, for a long time to do something different or to take uh, you know go in a different direction. Especially if those margins are so small, right? In some sectors, it's variable yes. to the markets. Yes. But you know, in in the agritech or agriculture space, I mean, some of those farms are at two to three percent margin. Where are they going to have the resources and yep. the funding to look at? the systems that can improve water efficiencies, have, you know, off-grid technology for power, um, waste management with manure. And, like, there's so many factors there, of even in even in that one site. But when that sector is, is starved of margins for and then sure. you have the ripple effect of climate, yep. which is, you know, destroying 20% of their crops, I mean, it's a real yeah, struggle. Absolutely. So, um, you know, where who steps in where, I think. And, and, and I don't believe government can do everything, by the way. Um, but I do think there's opportunity for yes. really strong leadership in the, with the right buttons that will, will um, trigger um, the, the other folks to follow along, the private sector yeah. um, and the general populace. And that's where the stick and carrot comes in. You mentioned that earlier, yeah. right? And that's, I, 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 I think it's both. I think there has to be incentives. People respond well to incentives, yeah. right? I mean, it's natural, right? When you're when you're uh, you, you know yourself, and and when you're in a and you're leading people, uh, it's much easier, right? With incentives is part of that story, and this is talking specifically to kind of the end consumer. Is that part of that story though that we're not we're not yet fully uh, incorporating the true cost of goods? So, in other words, the end consumer gets a product at a certain price. Uh, but it's not fully, you know, kind of uh, accounting for all the stuff that sits upstream. Is does that resonate for for you? I think we actually don't know a lot of those answers yet. What what is the true cost of CO two emissions? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, insurance companies are tackling that, but uh, I would say yes. We don't we don't know that, and certainly the public doesn't know the true costs yeah. uh, of you know when you buy something, you don't even for one thing, you don't know the difference in impact on 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 climate change that those two have in comparison right yeah. it's not front and center there there's not a number that you can look at oh that one's better right, right? and even if you did how much value would you put on that yeah you don't know that either so there's a that's what i mean there's a there's a whole bunch of education there's a whole bunch of knowledge that we have to come up with uh, you know collectively yeah. to understand this 
Because that's when people will make, I think, behavior changes, right? With with more understanding. Well, and, and so I think, you know, an interesting thing for me was to observe. So you book a flight and uh, you have a, a CO2 measurement associated with that flight, right? You mentioned yeah. reducing your, your travel, you know, as you think more kind of, uh, you think more about, you know, what your impact is. And so part of that story is at least being aware of it, step one. Step two is what am I going to do about that? And, and you know, and part of that discussion surely is going to be, well, trying to understand what does that actually mean. So, like, I actually don't know. Uh, let's, let's shift gears a, a little bit. Um, this been, the conversation's uh, fantastic. Uh, just talk a little bit, if you would, about the realities of operating in, in Canada. Just, um, you know, what are some of the opportunities for companies that are started here? Yeah. And then what that feels like to, to grow out of here? And, and what does Canada need to do um, to either make it more attractive or to, to, to grow these sectors? And, of course, Jeanette, Fascinated for your your point of view in terms of being you know an ecosystem uh, you know connector and collaborator here as well. So yeah, maybe sure. I'll I'll, I'll start with with that one. Um, I, I think the the ecosystem for growing companies here is great. I, I really do. I, I think it's world class. Uh, the government programs that are set in place, the the organizations like Foresight, uh, there's so much support in in starting and, and growing a company in early. I, I think we have to do a better job. Um, in Canada on supporting uh, those companies getting to be uh, come uh, commercial entities, larger commercial entities, uh, successful uh, and, and staying in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, providing anchors for other companies to, to start, right? Uh, for uh, uh, training people and, 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 all, and all sorts of, just an example, I think we need more of that. I, I think if you look at uh, uh, just just south of here in in Washington and and versus British Columbia, you can you can identify a lot more large large well known companies down there than you can up here, and that's and that's part of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I I don't have the answers on how to do that. Um, you know, but I but I see that big big difference, and I experienced it uh, firsthand with with Svante is that the 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 um, the, the the pressure and the the um, the reasons to move to to the United States are always there. It's a much much bigger market, yep. right? There's there's more uh, uh, financial investment happening down there, uh, you know, and that's never going to change, right? So we have to find ways of of, uh, of making sure people stay here. One of the reasons, and I would say probably the one, one of the key reasons I think is the talent here in, in Canada is fantastic. We have great universities. We, we know when someone came out of a university in Canada that they're going to have a level of education that, that's, it, that's, that's high. And, and, uh, and that's, I, I think that's what we have to leverage. Now, uh, early on, we have to nurture the, the ability for everyone to uh, use the the uh, friends and family uh, method of of starting companies and and people being excited about new companies and investing in new companies. Uh, I think we have a real advantage in having that system in place, and we have to get away uh, from my experience in the last few years. My friends and family and and uh, and and just um, uh, you know contacts. Uh, mostly talk about investing in real estate. Right. You know, I was mentioning this, and yeah. and you know, okay, great, but we can't just do that, right? Nice. We have to have to continue to be excited about investing in in new companies. And, and, and as that, in, right? if you're not an accredited investor, that's actually also hard to do, right? Like you have to have certain, you know, personal so, financial milestones yep. meant to be able to invest. Yeah. yeah. 
So um, my perspective certainly echoes uh, your perspective. Uh, we, we do a great job at the early research uh, ideation and launch phase of a business. I think we're getting better at that commercialization phase, um, but we still have quite an exodus of, of companies at that stage even um, because they either go closer to the market or closer to the money. Yeah. And and then, of course, on that scale-up stage, um, I mean, we, you know, we see a couple of recent ac- acquisitions uh, where, you know, uh, some some strong sector dominance or, or um, statements would have been made had we, you know, if, if we're able to keep some of these larger companies here. Um, but, you know, there's certainly reasons. So things that we can do... Um, Domestic adoption, uh, government mm-hmm. has a strong uh, procurement portfolio mm-hmm. and uh, to to thoughtfully consolidate some of that into some areas where, where Canada has some strong expertise and excellence is good. And there are tactics for attracting private capital and talent to the, the, the country as well um, through strategic partnerships and, and things with different countries where we can share you know, Holland, for example, great work in the egg space. We have uh, quite a, an evolving egg tech sector, not only here in BC, across the country. And so those types of relationships allow us to build, collaborate and compete globally together okay. as opposed to doing it on our own. The seed, the family and friends money. Yes, I'm, I, uh, I do have some concerns about our angel network. I know there's a lot of work being done, but when ventures leave and those entrepreneurs that are willing to take, you know, bets on those type of companies are no longer in Canada, um, that's what happens. And and I I see an opportunity uh, from BC across Canada for us to do that. That's Mm -hmm. that's sort of part of the vision of of Foresight's activities. Um, But um, so so early stage capital at all stages. Are there, are there other countries or regions that are doing that particular thing? Well, everyone's protecting their own space now, yeah. right? They want their own companies to scale. And they want to drive domestic adoption and they don't want, you know. Um, and in some cases, there may be some, you know, good reason for that. Um, but uh, the EU is now this, this hub and mecca of information and knowledge sharing across many countries. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I'd like to see us more freely be able to have collaboration. Like we have some ventures that need a widget or something from another country and it becomes cost, like if, if some of the trade regulations and stuff make it cost prohibitive or, or you know, just are too slow yeah. um, they, and we just don't have time. Um, I'm just, just curious for uh, maybe your perspective as we, as we start to, to wind down the conversation is in this clean tech space, just your perspectives or, or thoughts around just operating in this space. Is there anything that's kind of especially unique to the clean tech space, whether it's a personality thing that, uh, for, a, for a founder, uh, you know, or, a, or an entrepreneur that's, that's different in that space, or is it, uh, or are the challenges, you know, consistent? Uh, so we, we've, we've supported over a thousand Canadian clean tech companies, and I, I'd like to sort of compliment what, uh, what Brett said here things have evolved quite significantly in the past three to five years. Uh, And so what we still have is large capital projects or technologies that uh, are more bullish on tackling a larger part of a supply chain or a value chain. They take time. And so you need things like patient capital and, and patient stakeholders. You know, that being said, we're seeing some solutions that mimic or emulate more of a short-term business scale-up strategy around software and AI. So I think 
we're starting to, you know, there's some great things happening, but there's still, you know, some of those big game changers require time, patient capital, uh, and and long-term commitment support, right. you know, from from government. And so, uh, but I think a few a few strong political statements right. would drive adoption. It would drive investment, and it would just it would cut through the the long-term pain of transition and just get us right to it. Right. Um, I, I think working in the clean tech space is is uh, it's it's a lot of fun because it's such a challenge. Clean tech. I mean, just the the name, right? It's it's clean technology. So automatically, you're you're putting a value on the fact that it's clean. What is that value, right? <laughs> right? And and uh, that that's where I think we're we're all trying to figure out what. And we've touched on that with quite a few of the topics today. Is what 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 is that value? Uh, it's not just a, a a spreadsheet that that at the end you either have a you know a net present value that you want to execute on or you or you don't now, now you have a this notion of that it's 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 clean right and and what why are you going to do that then right, r- right? and that's in all i think in all the clean tech center uh, sector that's what we're we're, we're all kind of it's a challenge every day trying to figure that out right you're you're promoting a certain thing well what what does that to how, how do you promote that to happen right when it's not just the traditional spreadsheet that it makes sense or it doesn't yeah and it's all of our uh challenge uh you know because um you know we we i think collectively we have the same goals in way the way we want to live you know within reason right we want Fresh water. We want. We want good food. We we want shelter. We want. To, you know, collectively, I think that's that's uh, that's very similar, and therefore we all have to be part of this change. On Mother's Day of this year, my daughter said something really interesting to me, and I mean, I'm living and breathing this space twenty four seven, and she says, "You know, Mom, we're not killing the planet. We're killing ourselves," and I was like. She's smarter than me, thank God. <laughs> but like, that's really the reflection I think we have to have, right? Like, we can come up with all the solutions and and do all these things. The planet will survive without us. So, yeah. um, I don't. You can leave this part in or not, but that's certainly <laughs> the, that Mother's Day aha moment was uh, just even more impactful for me. So, thank you for having me. Let's let's leave it there. That's uh, that's a great note to end on. Something for us all to be thinking about. Um, my guests today have been Brett Henkel, who's the co-founder and senior vice president of business development at Svante, and Jeanette Jackson, CEO of Foresight. Thank you both for spending time with us today. Thank My name you. is Mark Lowe Thank from you. KPMG Insiders. Thanks for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. Cheers.